So when people are like, oh, yeah, I'm autistic, I don't think they're realizing the human rights fiasco that exists behind that label and then our livelihoods. So that's when it gets diluted. And I don't want to, to see autism becoming this social identity trend when actually mm. it is a neurological disability. What's up, everyone? It's your boy, Danny Priori, and welcome to Off the Cuff. You might know me as the guy from the basement yard, Vine, the Low Priori podcast. And while I love to make people laugh, just know that I've struggled with my mental health for most of my life, just like many of you. Here on Off the Cuff, I will be talking with some of the most impactful influencers, athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and mental health experts to have real, unapologetic conversations about mental health and breaking the stigma that surrounds it. This show is for you, and I'm so happy to have you here. Now, let's talk Off the Cuff. Welcome back to Off the Cuff. Today, I'm joined by Sarah Harvey, a.k.a. Agony Auti, you could see her on TikTok. You could see her pretty much on any major platform. It's so amazing to have you on the show today. I cannot wait to get into this episode. But first, I have to ask, how are you doing today? I'm very good, thank you. So you're in the UK. Yeah. So I went to London for the first time uh, about seven, eight months ago. I love London. London's like super dope. I'm going back a week before my wedding to London. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to get like right into it. You were diagnosed with autism relatively late at 26. So what I want to start is like kind of leading up to when you got diagnosed. Was there ever a part in your life where you, you kind of told yourself like there's something definitely going on here and I think it actually might be autism? Yes, when I was 15 which is so crazy. So I had no idea I was autistic. I knew I was different all my life because people were telling me from the age of four, you're different, you act different, you don't act like a girl, you don't really act like a child, you're quite animalistic, you're weird, you're crazy. So those imprints like shadowed me, my whole development. And when I was 15, after I watched Raymond, I couldn't get him out of my head, even though I can talk and speak, a lot of his mannerisms, the way he would move, some of his squawks, some of his stimming, so his hand flapping and rocking. I did that. I do that. Yeah. I identified with that. So I went away and I got loads of books out from the library on autism. And I read them for two weeks. And I can tell you, I didn't understand a word of what the medical oh, yeah. oh, criteria man. was describing. I'm the same way. Anytime I try to research something medically, I'm like, I have no idea what the hell they're talking about. Like, I'll get results back, and I don't understand how to read them to this day. Just like, oh, it was unremarkable. And I was like, wait, what does that mean? Exactly, because it's their language. That is exactly it, though. What does it mean? Because we're trying to access their language, and it's not accessible. So they were saying autism is an umbrella term. Autism is a spectrum. As a teenager, those words don't mean anything to me. Yeah, I don't I mean, know what I like an umbrella term. Like, I just know what an umbrella is. I don't know what anybody else is like. What the fuck are you talking about? So, they mean it's a, a wide scope, a wide yeah, yeah. spectrum of people. And I, I can grasp that now as an adult, but also I didn't understand how I could be autistic because they were saying to be autistic, you have to have social, emotional, and communication difficulties. And as a teenager, I have no introspection. So I wasn't aware Uh, that my emotions were very visibly different and difficult. I wasn't aware of that. I just knew I was different, but I didn't know why. And so the answer was right in front of me, but it didn't connect. And when I was 27, yeah, I was diagnosed. The opportunity for me to be diagnosed was so close when I was 13, but the psychotherapy experience was quite a daunting one and my parents were great they didn't force me into it they quickly extracted me from that and the reason I was there is because of my classical eating disorders which many autistics have they eat plain boring bland food the same oh really again and again and again yeah not all autistics but right right that food phobia and I'm one of them And that's one of the biggest classic signs of autism. But it was just missed. And it is because I'm a girl, I've learned. 
autism is more synonymous with men, with boys. And women were only, and girls only really started to be diagnosed as autistic, really around the 80s. And I was only oh. born in 86. So it makes right, sense right, yeah. that my diagnosis was so late. Yeah. Yeah. See, I was born in 89. So we're kind of from that same school of like, there was no spectrum when we were kids, you know, like I, I remember the special ed classroom yeah, had everything in it. Yeah. But they classified like everybody has the same thing. Like we didn't really know what autism was when you were a kid. Sadly, you thought it was just they're retarded. That's what they told us as kids. And then they put everybody in a small little classroom that was like a fish tank. And then you would have quote unquote normal kids walk by and stare into the classroom. Special ed was one of the worst experiences for kids that I, I had kids that were on my football team that were in special ed and they got made fun of all the time. It was the worst. I hate that but schools what, do that. What you're describing though is so important. What you're describing is segregation. Yes. What's happened is a, is a process of segregation and there's no, there, there was, especially in our era of growing up, there was very little effort for any integration to be made and by integration i mean not only sharing playground spaces maybe a few classes together but there was no effort for integration in terms of educating the other children the quote-unquote normal oh. children about yeah, the yeah. spectrum of disability so then that word retard comes up as a slur yes because we're filling in a gap because no one's taught Nobody really um, knew. It's just that they didn't make the educational efforts or the societal efforts for integration. Yeah. No, it's they were true doing because the bare minimum at the time. There used to be no place for disabled people in schools twenty five no. years ago, but now it's a legal requirement. But it's only been around twenty five years. Which is kind of crazy to think about. And then also the, the other thing was is they would always put them in like the basement. They were never they were never around like the rest of the student body. And I'm laughing now because I think of just how fucked up it was. Like they used to literally put them down in the basement of our school. And they that's would like come the Morlock. And- that's like Morlocks from HG Wells. Like if you deprive yeah. anyone, you were worse than their condition. Yes, 100 <laughs> percent And then and then when we when we would get lunch, they would bring them up 10 minutes early before us and let them get lunch. And then if you were in special ed, you had to go downstairs. It was a complete segregation in the school. They were not integrated at all into any of our normal classes. And like, how are these kids supposed to make friends? Well, I was really lucky because in the 90s, by the time I was in school, one of my very first friends, see, I knew I was different because I couldn't maintain friendships. I didn't know what to talk about. As an autistic, I thought you just share facts and you share what you're interested in. But that's not how neurotypicals communicate. They communicate quite widely, and it, the conversation will hop from thing to thing. Whereas autistics are quite, let's talk about this autism or space or astrophysics. Yeah. So I found it very difficult to make friends. But my my first friend was actually Natalie, and she had Down syndrome. And in the nineties, to have a girl with Down syndrome in our class, but I feel like my friend Natalie was a fellow disabled person. I mean, I didn't know I was a disabled little girl. I only found out when I was 26, 27. But I was drawn to fellow disabled people or people who were minority or people who were seen as other. I was always drawn to them as friends growing up because unconsciously that's what I was being cast as, was a slight outcast. But I just I just didn't know why. And the diagnosis gave me a framework to, to then understand, okay, this is why they think. I'm autistic. Yeah. It's because of the way I talk, the way I can emotionally be too intense. They see it as it's taken yeah. a long time to get a hold of my emotions, and I'm 36 now. And a lot of my stimming behaviors. So I've always stimmed my whole life, and stim means repetitive, focused, fixated movement or interest. And a stim can be a fidget. It can be flapping, rocking, biting at skin, picking at skin. Neurotypical's most famous stim is smoking. Yes. Yeah, it's an oral stim. That's right. It. And a neurotypical stim is weight training. Weight mm. training is a stim. It's the same bloody thing again and again and again. But they're regulated stims. And everyone needs stimulation, but autistics need stimulation a little bit more because our nervous systems are hypersensitive. 
and therefore oh. our emotions and our behavior and everything else gets a bit out of whack because of that. For sure. See, like I had a kid who was autistic in my class and I don't know if you had these, these ceilings, but remember those ceilings that looked like they just had a bunch of holes in them. They were like styrofoam. Like polystyrene. Yeah. Like polystyrene. Yeah. And he used to That's look it. up at the ceiling and count them out loud. Oh, that's what I used to do. That's normal for autistics. <laughs> yeah. So he used to look up at the ceiling and we used to hear him in the back of the room like 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. And I was just like, yo, like Chris is going in. He's like, yo, like, and then like when he would get to like a hundred, we'd be like, yeah, hundred. Like, you know, like that was like my first experience probably with someone who was autistic. And I just didn't know when we're kids. We're like, you know, he's, he's got some stuff. He's a little, he's a little different. You know, can you but, see why um, people would call me different then for that? Because for me, it's normal. I just thought it was normal to drift off and look around the whole environment instead of yeah. spaces. But it's not normal. I've been taught my whole life. And no, yeah. don't know how to film. Always like looking around and drifting away. It looks like we're in our own little daydream world. It really does. But what he was doing was grounding. So he was staying present by focusing on one thing in the environment. Yeah, yeah. I remember one one day he got to a hundred, and we all lost our minds. We were like, "Yeah, like yo, like it, he, he was it. like he, yeah, he was so like pumped up, like we were like high fiving him and stuff." But he had an aide in the classroom as well, and that was always okay. tough too. That was always tough too, though. It's like, yeah, I'm integrated in the class, but like I got this lady sitting next to me the entire day. And like that's motherfuckers are looking at me weird, you know, like and like that's just a really tough thing to go through. Like when it's you're really humiliating. 12. Yeah. That's when you're 12 cool. years old, you know. So do you wish you had an aid when you were in school or no. were you happy that, that you didn't? Right. Yeah. Because it's tough. Yeah. So there definitely were times where I would have benefited from an aid because there were many times where I couldn't complete my work. and. I would literally just freeze. I'd freeze and I would dissociate, which is a, psycho it's a psychological disconnection from your environment. It's really tough. So like when you were stimming in class, though, did like your other classmates like ever bring it up to you? Yes, I was quite lucky because there were a select few children who actually found my behavior to be intriguing. Ah, uh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were curious by it. And because of that, I actually was able to make some friends, which I'm, I feel so fortunate for. For sure. But they found my squawking. So I used to go, ah, like that. And I, I still do it if I see anything that's cute, like a cat or a squirrel or anything that's squishy. I see someone's arm and it looks squishy. That, for me, it triggers something. Yeah, yeah, I just want yeah. to squeeze their arm. It's like a sensory seek. It's really no, no, socially yeah. inappropriate, but I've had it since I was four. <laughs> no yeah so no, my, my, my brother has Tourette syndrome so yeah he had those too yeah yeah oh you totally relate then this is familiar to you then when I, my brother would be in the other room just go woo that makes me so happy that makes me so happy that you know it because oh for then sure that automatically that's like my, a lived experience that you just get and instead of me having to explain it explain it but those they found endearing and can you see how also people can be drawn to autistics to become friends with us because of our differences of course it's extremely interesting well also i have some harmful stims so because i i'm not allowed to slap my hands that's not allowed in mainstream school and the teachers didn't know i was autistic so if i was rocking mm. or flapping it's sarah hands on feet sarah stop fidgeting and that discipline that correction constantly i have constantly and if i didn't comply it's you get sent out, you get sent to the headmistress, you're a bad girl, you're naughty. So that was very deeply yeah. ingrained to suppress the movement. So I did. And the stim that I would do all day in school, in plain sight, that was socially acceptable, was biting my skin. And you can see my fingertips are red, raw, and scarred. They're so ugly. I hate wow. it. It's 25 years worth of scarring. Wow. So as a little girl, I would chew here like this. And because I'm quiet, still, and sat, not a problem. But I'm harming myself. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah so for that sure. self-harm stim is acceptable. The self-harm stim is socially acceptable. But the rocking or the humming or the hand flapping is not. And that's how autistics end up going into these more harmful behaviors because we're not allowed to do the organic natural ones. There's no space or room for it apart from yeah. in PE, physical education, or in playground time. Yeah, my brother used to pick his gums. He would pick out his gums from time to time. Yeah. He sounds autistic yeah, yeah. to me. He was, yeah, he might be. He might be, to be honest. Like, there's been times I've thought about it, but I've never really brought it up to him. But, like, there's certain things that he would do, and I would always be like, yo, like, at first it was, what's going on with Mike? Something going on there. And he would, like, he would do, like, little stuff. So he would be talking to us. He'd be like, yeah, you know, and stretch his neck. So we used to have, like, conversations. I was like, yo, did anybody else see that? Sorry. No, no, this no. This makes okay. me happy. This makes yeah. me so happy. Autistic identity is so important. It's so important for this reason, because otherwise I end up thinking I'm crazy, I'm broken, I'm weird, I'm strange, I'm not good enough. But as soon as I hear someone else go, oh, oh. I do that too, or my brother does that too, it's that connection, and I don't feel so so alone i don't feel so weird and actually i now know i'm not alone i'm actually part of a neurodivergent community there's oh, loads yeah. of other humans who function in this way and your For brother sure. being one of them with the the tip yeah the neck yeah, so i do that tick. on stage yeah when you do I'm that speaking, you do that on stage too if you watch our podcast the podcast i have with my brother you'll see him we'll be talking and he'll he'll have his ticks it's and yeah. mine mine goes like this it's like that it's, that's what he it. does I, that's what he does he I hates do it too that sometimes i do that by accident it's like a gurn almost and neurologically speaking what we are both doing is unconsciously ticking yeah. the stim and it's a stretch it's to regulate our nervous system it's to regulate those emotions that yeah. are so out of control and it's to regulate our sense of self but we often don't have control of when that's happening but it does have a neuroscientific neurological function. It just presents as a disorder. So the, yeah, even the skin picking has a function. The function is to calm me, but it's yeah. disordered in that arms. Yes. And that's like what would calm him. I always used to ask him, I was like, what do you feel before you, the tick comes? And he was like, yo, he, and he was just <laughs> pressure, like, pressure. Yeah. I he's like, it's just like my, that's what you feel. Yeah. He's like, yeah, it just has to come come out like he'll do it that you know out. it has to my like my brain is like i can't go without would i have to do that so i'm it's like, like oh. breathing yeah it's like it breathing. is it needs to be let go it, it's like a bit of energy that's kind of coarse and stuck in the body and when you stretch it, it it's released and yes even with clicking you can release it with like clicking flapping snapping oh, yeah. at the knuckles a lot of autistics will snap at the knuckles but what i've learned is that you can regulate all of this pent-up energy, emotion. And instead of it coming out as clicks and ticks, I go to the gym now four times a week. And it's reduced a lot of my self-harmy stims. It doesn't get rid of them. It never oh, really? will get yeah, rid of right, them. Right. But it reduces that pressure to move because I've moved so much. I've displayed uh -huh. so much energy at the gym that there's less of that energy that's coursing around me. Oh, for sure. Yeah, because that's what he would say, though, like, too, it's like almost like excess energy, too, would have him tick a lot more because his ticks yeah. used to be more verbal when we were kids. It would be a lot of like, huh, huh, you know, like that in the other room. And sometimes be like he would say like full phrases like he had this whole time where he would just say, fuck cheese. He would just go, fuck cheese. Yes. <laughs> that's what he did. That, that's what mine was is. How about no, Scott? How about no? <laughs> That's it. How about new score is mine. How about new? And I yeah, just like yeah. to play with the new card and you can just go over it again and again. Yeah, and that's I've learned what that what I'm doing, that's it. But from a neuroscientific point of view, what we're doing is activating something called the polyvagus nerve. And it is so important. Polyvagus nerve. Yes. The polyvagus nerve, it's one of our nine cranial nerves. It runs from the brain all the way down the central nervous system, and it regulates our heart, our digestion, our circulation, blood pressure, all of it. The dorsal vagal nerve runs from the brain down the spine as a very oh. old nerve 
that nerve shuts us down. It shuts down our digestion. It creates mm. t- tummy problems. It makes us socially withdrawn. It puts us into a freeze state. And the polyvagal nerve moving gets us away from the dorsal vagal freeze state. So stimming is so vital. Even the ones that seem bizarre, they all have a function. Even the new Scott <laughs> has a function because I'm, I'm activating my nasal cavity and the throat. Yeah, you're self-regulating almost. The polyvagus nerve. So you're making noises, you're creating vibrations, and it looks weird, it looks socially bizarre, but it has a biological neuroscientific function. And when I learned that, that set me free. because It stopped me from believing I'm broken. It's like a very long time ago. You know, you were young when you got diagnosed, but just in the scheme of your life, you're still a young woman. But it's you've been undiagnosed longer than you've been diagnosed. So it's like you kind of have to like recalibrate your entire life, kind of, which is a lot. Thank you. It is. It is a recalibration. And I tell you what, when I I saw how they described us, it was very difficult for me because they're they're deficit at social, they're deficit, they're shit. Autistics are just shit. Did you know they're a burden to society? I'm like, right, one second, there has to be a more logical explanation behind the psychology that was only drafted in the 40s and that is constantly revised so neuroscience is where i landed because neuroscience does more than what psychotherapy could ever do it does more than what psychiatry could ever do neuroscience gives us a window into the mind it uses mri scans and cat scans and ct scans to look at how the electrical brain waves are activating different areas within the brain with psychiatry Psychiatry only ever looked at people's behavior and they observed what was socially abnormal from that without any real scientific base. So I feel like neuroscience is going to crack open the DSCM5, the psychiatric model of autism, OCD, schizophrenia. Over the next 10 to 20 years, we are going to have some revelations that are going to tear up some of the definitions and completely redefine them. That will help also in terms of for certain medications too, like how it works with certain stimulants and stuff like that. So like I tell, like my brother was always afraid because when my brother took medication for his Tourette syndrome, it made him like super tired and he like, wasn't like Mike. So like, he would just kind of just be like, yo, what's up? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he would be ticking less and like, it would be easier on him. Like he used to tell me it would feel like he played like a football game some days Yeah, because he'd be so sore from ticks. But he's like, yeah, like can be exhausting. They can exhaust us because we are releasing energy. It's like, meh, 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 and it's, it can be exhausting for us. Yeah, it can yeah. be less. And then, like for him, it was it was tough. But at one point, he was like, "Listen, he's like, if I got to deal with these ticks, he's like, I'd rather like be like myself and deal with these ticks than like I don't want to be like drugged out." You know, he's like, that's just not for me. Like, it just takes away too much of who I am. So he's like, this is who I am, bro. Like, I have these ticks. I deal with them the way I deal with them. And I always say it's different strokes for different folks. But the more you know about the actual science, I think the more it will put your brain at ease. Yeah, because otherwise you're just, you're relying on cultural interpretations of autism. And cultural interpretations are in the weird, crazy, retard camp instead of the oh, they're functioning differently because they prioritize and sort information differently in the brain. And we can literally see it in this scan. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's it's the thing, too. It's a logical transference. That's what it is, too. And then also it's like there's two, like the only spectrum like people know about like autism that like don't really, you know, know about it the way that people should. It's like you said, they get put in like the retardation category over here. Or they could do every math problem and like play a piano backwards. They're like the genius trope. Yeah, the genius. Yeah, so that's like, that's all it is. There's like, you know, people, they don't understand that there's, you know, obviously the spectrum, but like there's a a middle and then there's like a little more. I look at it like a gas tank, right? So it's like, if you're like over here and you're going to be thinking this one extreme and then this one extreme, you got to think of it. It's, It's like a gauge. So like some people are just in their own own like actual league 
when it comes to what they're dealing with. It could be very different than anybody else on the world. It's like autism is almost like fingerprints. Like there's some yeah. similarities, but it's everyone's like kind of different. Absolutely. That is that is an amazing analogy. It really yeah. is a good way. I would take that further, your analogy, and say that every brain is like a fingerprint. Each fingerprint is unique. However, we know it's a finger. We know it's a thumb. Yeah, we all know They're it's identifiable a yeah. the way that the shell is a human. But each fingerprint, its curves and its definition is different. And the brain will hear a sound and no one will interpret that one sound the same. No. Yeah? Even though it's the same sound. Some will not like the sound some will love the sound it has different responses to different people so you're totally yeah i really like that analogy so i want to get into talking about your son oh, yeah frankie. so i want to talk about frankie because as a parent who is autistic right when your son was born was that something that yeah. you were not necessarily feeling guilty but like i'm bipolar i have bipolar type 2 and like depression runs in my family. So like whenever my fiance gets pregnant, I'm going to have those feelings, right? Like the, the, yeah. those feelings of, you know, like, oh, like, oh man, like this kid's like, this is going to be my fault. And then, you know, I'm going to be like this. And now this kid's going to do it. Like I'm more equipped, you know, like I'll be more equipped. Like, I don't know if they'll be as tough as me when it comes to like the certain situations. So like, were you thinking that while you were pregnant? Okay. So with, with my, my son, I was actually diagnosed after he was. So what happened was, oh, I yeah, and then and then the guilt. Oh wow! And it came heavy because the first year it was like, oh my god, he's autistic. How can this be? How has this happened? Rah, 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 rah. And when they were assessing him, the assessors would look at me. Yeah, they're like, what the fuck are you doing over there? Very <laughs> similar. And it wasn't their place to say it. So they would gently suggest and gently nudge. And it was when I was in my own counseling that my therapist was like, Sarah, please don't take this the wrong way. But have you heard about autism? I was like, yeah, my son's autistic. And she's like, have you considered that you may be? And it took a year to be diagnosed. It took me another year on top of that to accept that diagnosis for me to really let it in for a while I was like this can't be real this can't be true this can't be happening how can you think that I'm autistic like I don't understand and then because I was in such denial like I knew I had oh, psychiatric sure. problems I just was like what and then it was also like once I settled with that I'm autistic it was like so my son's struggling because of me so yeah. my son's autistic because I am what and that's when that guilt came into it and one thing I will say with yourself and it's very difficult but when that guilt arises about oh I've passed on a problem or I've made my child ill or anything like that it's difficult for me to say this but it isn't totally true yes they're autistic because they have your genes right that's their ancestry now but you didn't purposely make their life difficult you didn't create the ideologies that exist around functioning bodies being better than those who aren't we're in this landscape together but we didn't set the precedent that disabled people are less the people and our ancestors before us did and that's mm. the battle that we face is a very ideological ideological battle for respect welfare and protections and that's the fight i choose to take so anytime i feel guilty i feel bad I put it into the work I do, which is trying to campaign for better education, special educational needs, school, more funding, access, training, all of that. Otherwise, I don't know where to put that pain because right. I put it on me. I put it on me so much. It made me ill. It made me suicidal. It made me believe I wasn't a good mother. So that pain has to be fed outwards. You cannot carry all of that. It will drive you mad because you didn't cause the suffering that your child's going through. Right. I'm about to get married and then obviously you get married and then you have kids, you know, if you're going to go that, you know, uh, stereotypical road, you know what I mean? So like, that's yeah. one thing like I worry about. I'm like, damn dude, it's going to be so awesome. But like the moment, like I see like my kid, like feel sad. I'm going to be like, or like come home and say he's depressed. I know for a second, I'm going to be like, this is my fault. Like, this is like my, just 
fucking putrid jeans. You know, like I'm just going to have like that moment in my head. Like I know I'm going to have it. Absolutely. And I've been there with that. But it's another way to look at it is that actually if your child does have a, the same neurological disposition as you, you are the best person equipped to help your child navigate this world because you also know what that outlook is like. You've also been that child that came home from school depressed and sad and lost. Yeah. You are the best person placed for this. So hold on to that when you become a dad. I will. I will. I'm ready to be a dad right now. Like I'm so ready Like just like have a kid. You know what I mean? So for you, though, in your situation, it's like, you know, how you said, like, I would be the best person. Do you feel that way? Now I do, yeah. It took me a little while. I think by the time my son was two, no, to be honest, the day he was diagnosed, I turned to my ex-husband. We're, we're amicable, we're friends, but unfortunately yeah, yeah. the marriage didn't work out. But I turned to my ex-husband and I said to him, out of everyone that our son could have been with, I am grateful he's with us because I will love him more than anything, more than yes. anyone. I will do anything. But I was so like, that's the way I have to see it is he is vulnerable. My son is classically autistic. He's considered to be severely autistic and with speech difficulties and emotional behavior difficulties are quite complex. But I believe they will calm down over time. The more oh, for sure. And skills and life experience that he, he gathers. But now I do believe, yeah, I'm the, I'm the best person for this, not just because I'm his mom, not just because I've gone through this before, but because I'm still willing to learn. I'm willing right. to learn new things and throw out old where it's wrong. And that's the way I have to deal with it. You guys are blessed to have each other. That's just what it is. Thank you. That's how Thank it works you. out. Because if you really think about it, it's like, see, this is the one thing too, though, when I have a kid, right? And if he comes yeah. home depressed and I'm depressed, I'm going to be like, hey, man, I'm depressed. You can't be depressed right now. It's like, hey, man, I need a day too to deal with my shit. That's it. You- it's, it's hard. It's hard. It really is. But to be honest, my emotional journey has meant that my son has a very strong emotional core because that's where his difficulties are. So I thought, right, if he's socially, emotionally, communicatively disordered, those are the areas I need to work on the most right. with him. And every day we check in and we say, how are you feeling? It's just an everyday conversation. We talk about yes. our emotions and feelings. And he gets to say, I'm happy, I'm sad, I'm frustrated. And there's always space for that. And that's what you can do. And your child doesn't need a happy parent all the time. Mm. You are allowed to be down and depressed and sad. And that can be an opportunity for that child to learn about those emotions and also connect with you about them. But there is room for the hard emotions too. Yeah. And you going through that will enable your kids to have that conversation about everything that you, you didn't get the chance to talk about as a kid maybe. My mom had a tough life growing up. And then my dad, my dad's parents were, you know, my grandfather was an immigrant who was like, just this hard ass Italian dude. You know what I mean? And then my other grandparents, they were like that too on my mom's side. And my mom, like my mom's brother died when she was a kid. Like, you know, her house burned down twice like she, my mom's been through some wild shit. So like my mom's like kind of gangster. Like she's kind of like hardened in a sense. Yeah. But like, you know, it wasn't a lot of like discussion about like, I'm sad and shit that really right. wasn't allowed. You know, that's why like, even like as a man, like men have a lot of advantages in the world. I'll, I'll put it at that. But like when it came to like feeling sad and doing stuff like that, like you were a pussy. Mm. It was always man up. Stop worried about. So then it's like, no, dude, like I'm depressed. Like my parents are fighting. Like my brother's going through something. You know, I'm like, damn, dude, like I feel like I'm not getting adequate attention. I'm just like, yeah, like I'm crying out for help here. And you guys are like calling me like gay and shit. And that makes you more unwell ultimately over time. Yeah. And because they're dealing with the same shit, but they just don't want to hear it too. Because they're like, yeah. It's that old saying, like, oh, like, I have my own problems. So I want to tell you a quick story. So I used to teach kindergarten kids how to swim. That was my job. I used to teach children how to swim. And we had a kid who was 100% nonverbal. 
when he was in kindergarten and he used to like cling to me, but you know, we had like a couple of things, like his mom came in and was like, he'll respond to this. And so I worked with him like a whole summer and the next year he started talking a little bit more in uh first grade, second grade, he started talking a little bit more. And by like third grade, like I couldn't get him to shut the fuck up. <laughs> you know, so, but when I first heard him speak when he came down to the pool, because all the kids would walk down to the pool and he remembered me from last year and he said, hi, Danny, to me. And I like I like start crying shit. I was like, what's up, man? And I was like, oh, my God, like he's talking like it's, it's unbelievable. And then I remember by like, like the last year I was there, he was in third or fourth grade and he was just talking it up. It was just like a beautiful thing to see. And it's like, I think as a parent. Like I would talk to his mom and his dad and it's like, it's just amazing that they trusted the process of being like, you know, like, we're just going to do what we got to do. Like, we'll go see a speech specialist. We'll figure this out. And we're, we're just going to let this go for you when it comes to school for your son. How do you feel like if teachers, I don't want to use the word pity, but like in a sense of like how somebody will come and like try, kind of pity your son. It's like, do you feel like that's detrimental or do you think that actually helps, you know, in terms of making sure that your son gets like adequate attention in the classroom? First of all, my son is very similar to the little boy that you described in that Frank was nonverbal. He's now 11. Let's quickly show you his face. There he is. Frankie. Look at him. Frank, Frankie man. Frankie uh, he's now man. 11. And he can talk, but his speech is quite garbled. But he, he has a voice. He has a say. It's just not yeah. um, typical English. So the main thing I ask for is empathy and compassion mm. when dealing with these children. And another thing I ask for is to not throw the towel in with these kids. Do not give up on them. Because like Frank and like the boy that you described, if you give up on them, you have literally it out their opportunity for growth and development. You've mm. blocked it. And by giving up on them, I'm talking about school exclusions, expulsions, and segregation in mental health units that's giving up oh, on yeah. I mean pity empathy compassion there is room for pity there is space for acknowledging how hard these children have it just how difficult their life is and how difficult it's going to be there is space for that but it's when people get lost in it when people get lost in the oh it's sad he can never do this let's just pray for him and accept that this is how he that not constructive to me i want constructive empathy and compassion which is this lad's uh, life is tough his life is going to be hard so let's make sure as adults we have done the best that we can do to equip him with the tools with yes. the experience and with the community that he needs going forward otherwise pity it's just an empty feeling and right. sometimes i feel that people find being around disabled children so hard because of the way it makes them feel because it makes people feel very sad to see children yeah. in wheelchairs children on breathing apparatus children with neurological disabilities it is heart rendering it is heart destroying actually to see some of these children and to really think we will never understand what they're going through but to then avoid them because mm. they make us feel uncomfortable or to try to put them out of our minds because they make us feel sad is a form of segregation that's come from pity. So mm. it needs to be active compassion and a kind of a pity with what can we do? I'm not even a parent, but like I worked with kids for, from the time I was 13, I was a camp counselor from like 13 to like 23. So like every summer, like I was just taking care of kids, you know what I mean? And it was like, I don't think people understand how hard it is to be a kid. Sometimes it's very difficult. And then that just being a, like a kid who's, you know, quote unquote, normal, you know, a normal kid. Now it's like, you know, you're dealing with kids who are, are trying to be expressive, but they, they just, they don't have it yet. They're just not there yet. And my thing is I always just to be like, I just wish I could switch places with them. So they don't have to suffer like that. Okay. Well, that's why Running Up That Hill by Kate Bush was my favorite song. And then when they mm. had it in Stranger Things and then it went popular, that was huge. Yeah, right. And I was like, that's my song for Frank. 
But then when I was yeah. diagnosed, I was like, that song doesn't mean anything because we're both bloody autistic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's an overplayed song now anyway. So it's like, it's it's whatever. It. They, they ruined it for everybody now too. I remember just be, people being like, oh yeah, like who's like Kate Bush? I was like, you know, that song's like super old, right? She had better songs too. But that, that's just, yeah. that just goes without saying. But, but, no, do you but think... that, that swapping that place, that's sacrificial. So you're wanting to sacrifice, basically. And and that that comes from a recognition that you do get it. You get oh, just yeah. how hard it's going to be, that you'd rather swap places because it's like, you know, it's just, it feels unfair. It feels unjust. Sometimes seeing what disabled children have to go through, it does. It feels unfair and unjust. But I really hope that having conversations like the one that we're having today just helps people to take a step back and to remember the humanity that does belong to these children. They're not just disabled, disordered, something that needs to be fixed or cured. Yeah. They're people. Yeah. They're humans. Yeah. <sighs> the thing I love about kids, and I hate it at the same time, <laughs> is they're, br- they're brutally honest. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And then also I used to have a kid with autism, another kid with autism. I used to work at a at a school for underprivileged kids, you know, like their parents were on drugs or, you know, and they and they had to live on campus. And we had we had this one kid who was autistic. And every time I had a pimple, he would set tell me I had one. He would always tell me I had a pimple or he would like tell me like like a. you used to do that, too. It yeah, always... I used to do that. But that's because I have it's a stim. So anytime anyone had a spot in school. And again, I was so lucky. I'm so lucky that yeah. the teenagers were tolerant and OK with my weirdness. But anytime there's a spot, I'm like, you have a spot in your face. Can I pick it? So oh, yeah. I'm not. I don't even think about, oh, it's rude or it could make them feel self-conscious. I don't care that they have a spot. I think they're still beautiful, but I want to pop the spot, and that's all I can think about. But yeah. then it's that social awkwardness of you don't point out people's spots, Sarah. Yeah. And I'm like, oh shit. I used to think the kid was just like cut me up. I was like, this kid's fucking clowning me every day, dude. I'm like washing my <laughs> face like before I go to work. But then I found out that they, they were like, oh, they were like, nah, there's like, he's uh, he's he's autistic. And I was like, are you all right? You know what? That makes like a lot more sense now. Because like if I yeah. had three, he'd be like, you have one, two, you have three pimples. Three. And I'd just be like, you motherfucker. Yeah. I was like, you got me again. And, you know what yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah. But that's just like how, how it was. And I remember his mom came up because they would have parents visit from time to time for holidays and stuff. And they would come up. My thing was, I always felt a magnetic connection with kids that with either special needs or, you know, they need a little more extra time in the classroom and stuff like that, because you really see that they want to learn and they want to talk. Because I remember with the little kid that we were talking about before my old camp, he used to write. He could write, you know, but like he couldn't really speak that well. He just I remember once he wrote, I want talk. So like, you know, like they know they know. They know what's they going know what on. They, want. they know, they know what, what they want. They have that own internal subjective world. And oh, man. They just oh, that shit broke my heart. It. Yeah. See, that was the shit that broke my heart. Because at the end of every every camp, yeah. they said, when you come back to camp next year, what are your goals for, like, you know, school year? And then you come back. And here's just like, I want I want talk. And I just, I had to walk oh, into, like, the other room and, like, cry a little yeah. bit. I was like, damn, dude, like. I'm over here complaining about like, you know, just regular dumb shit. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, you realize a lot of things you take for granted. But the thing is, is when you see these kids come back, you know, year after year, it's a triumph like you've never felt before. It's better than like any championship. It's better than any like, you know, that to me was like winning the lottery when you would see kids like make these like huge strides. It's, It's like the best feeling in the world. No, I miss working with kids for sure. Like hey, when yeah, I, I get older, I would like help to help equip them. You know, yeah, that was the thing. That was the most fun part. You helped equip them though with that. Yeah, for sure. Those kids helped me so yeah. much. I was and like, man, like I can't wait to see them because they were just genuinely happy to fucking see you. You know, I'm like, all these other kids are kind of all right. It. You know, well, Frank, because Frank speaks very differently, and he is aware. He's aware that when he opens his mouth his words don't come out how he wants to say them 
And literally three weeks ago, he was getting overloaded into a meltdown. And he's 11 now. So I can explain a little bit more for him about the behavior he's always had his whole life. Right. And he was on the sofa. He's getting anxious. He has OCD. And he's telling me about numbers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And he said to me something, and it, it broke my heart. He said, um, Frank doesn't speak properly. But he said it in his own way. Right. And then he said, my mind is broken. Mm. And I immediately, I've been here as a kid. I've been here as an adult believing that. And in that moment, I was able to do what never happened to me as a girl. I was able to be there for him the way I wanted to, someone to be there for me as a kid. And I was able to tell him, your mind is not broken. Remember the autism thing that mummy's been talking yes. to you about for seven years? I was like, you're autistic. Your mind is autistic. And I was thinking, it's because of the autism that we feel this way or speak this way. And I just redirect him to that and just right. move it away from the I'm broken. I'm the problem. It's like, no, you're struggling right now. Yeah. And you are different. You are different from a lot of people, Frank. And the reason is autism. And then I say, but it's okay because mummy, mummy is the autism too. Is the that's autism? It. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, that's why. Mummy is that's the, the autism thing too. It's, that's the beautiful struggle, right? In times, it's like you know, mm. my father like didn't get diagnosed with depression until like oh, after all of us like went through like depressive states. I've been fifty-one fifty, and I say it on the show all the time. You know what I mean? Like I've been locked down. You know what I mean? Like I, I've been like, hey man, this is it for me. Like, mm. see you guys later. You know, I've dealt with all that, and yeah, you know, it's right. kind of crazy. So I you've think been about in a similar it. path to me then yeah yeah oh yeah it's you're the most equipped person to be your son's mom i think that goes without saying i think i think you can really understand that because you're willing to put the work in some parents aren't and it's not that they're bad parents they're just not willing to put that work in because you know maybe they have other kids or whatever you know there's things that happen in life because of my autism because of that entered our life in such an explosive way with my mm. with my kid i've been latched into it really for eight years nine years now and i think that that i know what you mean but it's because of my geekeriness and because of the right, emotional right. unsettling feeling i get around my son's future that's why i do this this work that i do but thank you so much that no absolutely that so, so much to me absolutely do you think that you would have ever gotten diagnosed if you didn't have Frankie? I do. I think it would have taken a lot longer. I do think I would have been diagnosed because of the eating disorders, the autistic presentation, my behaviors, meltdowns. I had a lot of meltdown crises in my 20s oh, yeah. into early 30s that I just didn't understand how to navigate. I didn't know what was happening to me. I didn't know it was a sensory overload or emotional overload. I didn't know how to care for it. But I would have been diagnosed eventually, I think, yeah. That's what I always like. Well, I'm uh, so thankful for my son. That's what I'm saying. It's like, at least, you know, you got the ball rolling for you. That's it. Which, which, I've never met anyone more like me than than my son. So I'm so grateful for him. And for that, I really am. Listen, it's a beautiful thing. And I wanted to ask you too, how do you think social media is helping move and spread the word about autism? So we talk about that a lot on this show. It's like, you know, I make a joke on this show. Like I was depressed before it was cool. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. you, know, you know, so like I, I mess around like with that. It's like, you know, how do you feel when like people will say, uh, oh, I'm uh, I'm like so OCD or when people are like, I think I'm like autistic. Yeah. Like, you know, it's become so mainstream that people throw these words around and I'm a big person. I'm like, well, have you been diagnosed with that? Then you probably shouldn't say it. Like, I understand the joke that you're trying to say. But no, it's just like you're anal. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, it's like you just like a clean house. It doesn't mean you have fucking autism, dude. There's a bit of a diluting of the process because the information is so accessible now. And yes. because autistic people, we because we're people, other people will sometimes identify with different areas of what we're talking about and our experience and our difficulties. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're autistic. And they, you can't know that without a whole lifelong psychological profile and an occupational therapist doing an assessment to help you guide you through that. But yeah, th- there's an appropriation where people that I'm depressed, 
I'm traumatized is the one I've heard a lot oh, this yeah. year. I'm so traumatized. What happened? I dropped my app on my. Yeah. We're diluting the language here. And I just wish people would think before they take the term because then the term starts to lose its meaning when it comes to us trying to explain our yeah, of course. Or difficulties or needs. But yeah, there's a lot of appropriation with, with terms like like that. And it's just a bit unsettling. And I hope that, yeah, I just hope the message isn't diluted. That's the thing I get worried about um, sometimes too. It's like, man, I didn't spend all these money on fucking doctors to get this diluted shit that I'm getting sometimes. You know what I mean? I was like, I've been through enough. Don't dilute my content now. It's the double-edged sword. Like, we're erasing stigmas, which is a beautiful thing, right? But it's like, go to a doctor, please. That's just what I say. Like, dude, go to a doctor, man. Because everyone that you're talking about, 100%, 100% is not equipped to deal with what you're going through right now. We're just not. And that's why yeah. you see you hear people like, like I, with, I, with their families. They were like, oh, I thought he was so happy. What's the first thing when somebody sadly takes their own life? You saw you saw. Happy. Yeah, I look so happy. He was like, you know, because it's not that we're ignorant. We're just not equipped to pick up on certain signals because we didn't go to school for 20 years. We don't, we don't study of the brain. You know, and that's why like parents are like, yeah, like that was my kid. Like I loved him. Like I know he was going through some stuff, but like everybody gets the blues when they're a kid. That's what their mindset is, but they're just not equipped. It's not a household thing yet, you know, and hopefully it gets there. But, you know, that's why that's why a lot of people, you know, feel so bad because they were like, I thought he was fine. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think with the social media, I think it's doing great jobs to raise awareness and to make people aware of the condition and I am aware that some people self-diagnose and self-diagnosis I have some space for it because some people are denied access to diagnosis so that's like a critical infrastructure failure but where I don't have room for it is where people are seeing autistic people like myself talking about the experience giving out educational information and maybe after five minutes or half an hour of watching us to go, oh yeah, okay, I self-identify. And it's like, this is not a flippant decision. It's not, I'm just gonna wear this hat one day. You either yeah. identify with these lifelong struggles and you, you want to seek out a diagnosis for that, or you identify with a bit of it, but that doesn't mean that you can then go, oh, I'm autistic. It's like, like to be autistic legally and medically, you are a deficit. Yeah. You are a deficit in sensory cognition imagination so when people are like oh yeah i'm autistic i don't think they're realizing the human rights fiasco that exists behind that label and then our livelihoods so that's when it gets diluted and i don't want to, to see autism becoming this social identity trend when actually mm. it is a neurological disability legally still it is and yeah, so I, I do worry about that. But autistic people get to have an identity where we get to be proud about ourselves. We don't always sure. have to see ourselves as disabled. But we cannot be taking over and speaking over the most vulnerable. And I, I consider myself to be quite a privileged autistic in that I can speak. And that's right. a privilege because it gives me autonomy and it protects me because I, I get to have a say. Yes. Whereas there's some autistics who don't. And that's scary. And I don't see some of these self-identifying autistics doing anything actually to better the autistic causal community. And that's distressing for me. That's why I tell people all the time on the show, I'm not a mental health professional, but what I will recommend is that you go see one. Absolutely. And that's another thing I do too is go Just go see one. Go into the diagnosis. But if you're identifying with this, be prepared that not- Yeah. I go, you're autistic, you're a genius. It's you're autistically legally in this land, you are neurologically less than and disabled. So that's what right. you're going in for. And then people go, Okay, well, I'll have another think about that autism then. Because it's not Yeah, it's like, oh wait, oh no, hold on. Yeah. Like, no, it's not cool. We're actually for our damn right here. Yeah, that's that's a thing. Yeah, like, hell no, I don't think I want any of that. Yeah, they're like, oh, oh, you know, neither like, do we. Yeah, <laughs> we don't yeah. want- I just like doing the dishes a lot. Like, I'm yeah. not autistic anymore. You know, one of the last questions I want to ask you is, how many kids have you almost beat up 
with Frankie in school? Like with Frankie in school? How are the kids in his school? Um, Frank's school is special educational needs. His first school was like only five children in the class. And the school that he's at, which he's really enjoying himself at, I think there's 10 or 12 children in the class. So they're quite manageable. Having run-ins with a kid at school at the moment, but they're quite similar in that they will defend their territory. They will both get into the fight kind of state. They'll fight each other, but they'll get into that angry fight state and they will match each other. So with Frank, he's very good at defending himself. He's very good at speaking up for himself and saying, I don't like this now. He's good at not complying and submitting. It's something that he actually can't do. He doesn't know how to comply. He knows how to oppose. So I've been quite fortunate in that it's not necessarily been the other children that have been an issue. It's mainly been staff in the other education settings for treating him so barbarically. There's that too. For treating him as if he wasn't a disabled child, for restraining him unnecessarily and traumatizing him. That's what they did in the past. So it was actually heartbreakingly, it was actually the adults, the people in positions of authority and who my son's supposed to build up trust towards, they completely traumatized him out of the school setting for two years. And after two years out of school, he's finally back and he loves it. And that's because these teachers, they're all about the kids. God damn. They sound like you when, you know, you said that there's a special connection with children who are more vulnerable. They are all about the kids and it translates in how they are with my son. So I've been lucky. But there's been a lot of neurotypical children who... Uh, there's one child this year I have to <laughs> There we go. I know. One I child. Know get one. I said, when we yeah. were out and about, when we were out and about, my son was on the bike track and he was waiting to go on the bike on the ramp. But as he's waiting, he's humming. He's going... Yeah? yeah, yeah he yeah. just always makes those noises. And that's when the other kids who are the same age as my son. And that's where I can really see the difference as well. And it hurts. Oh. I mean, it hurts. There's that gap. And they start laughing at him. One of them says the R word yeah. to his friend. So I immediately just start marching oh, in a line yeah, yeah, towards yeah. the child. I wait for Frank to go on the ramp away right. from me. And once he's away, I turn to the, the child and I said to him, can you tell that he's disabled? And he went, I can tell he's different. And I was like, yeah, but can, can you see he's, he has a disability? And he's like, I didn't know he was disabled. I was like, well, that's why you're laughing at him. You're laughing at him because of a disability. And you're not disabled, are you? And he went, no. And I went, right. So you actually are the ones who are supposed to protect him. You're supposed to look out for him because you can do more than him. You're supposed to be there. You're not supposed to laugh. I was like, next time you see a little boy like him, don't laugh. Think, what can we do? And he went, I'm sorry, I didn't know if he was disabled. I won't do that again. And it just made him think of, you know, if I see a disabled kid, actually, what I was trying to do with that boy was let him know you have the power to be better mm. than what you're you're being. You have the power because you actually do have the power in this situation because you're with a disabled person. You have more autonomy than him. So don't laugh. Don't be cruel because that sticks to my son's heart. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then also, it's like, I'm happy you let him go down the bike ramp because you would have been like, my mom's going in right now. Oh, yeah. I had to let him go first. Yeah, because you I don't like, like... in front of him because that's just so embarrassing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I'll yeah. fuck a little kid up, though. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize. To the of kid course. I, was like, I said to him, I'm sorry I talked to you. I'm sorry. I know you don't know me. I'm sorry, but I'm his mom. And I have to just explain that that's not okay. Yeah. But I did apologize. See, that's the, the hardest the thing. Because but that's the thing, though. It's like, I feel like, and I'm saying this with no children, so I'm obviously an expert. But, you know, with having no children of my own, if someone bullied my kid, it would take every ounce of me not to get on that bus the next day. It is, yeah, it's hard. I, I often get more angry about at the parents, which I know me is not too. always rational. Because I'm not, I just cannot be angry with an, a kid. And if I am, it has to be very, very obviously controlled and, and courteous. Right. But at home, I'm like, how dare they? How dare they hurt him? How dare they make him? What is that? 
it, and then I get angry about the do the parents know and rah, 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 and yeah. yeah, I've been See, in that's that a, little that place. Yeah, there's gonna be like, listen, man, I'm gonna ride this bus home, and then I'm gonna beat the shit out of your dad. Yeah, like in my head, you know, but I'm not a violent person, but I just can't imagine just like your kid comes home and and they tell you that somebody was fucking pushed him over, like did some shit like this or, you know, or made fun of him or called him a name or something like the animal instinct in me, which we all have, which we all have that fight response. That's what I mean by the fight response is what Frank. Oh, yeah. A lot. And it's a valid response. It's a protector response. Yeah, um, we all have primal instincts. That's it. You know? And that's where mine would go, I have to beat the shit out of this kid's dad now. <laughs> like, I have to. I have to, because I can't beat up this kid, and, but and I can't beat up his the dad. Challenge, but that's the challenge is often is taking that fight and trying to put it into other areas. That's what's yes. kept me sane within this advocacy area is that Okay, so the school restrained my son in the past. They traumatized him. I'm so angry. What can I do with that anger? And at first it was at the school to and fro, to and fro, sort out what was going on with my son. But now that anger's still there, that pain's still there. And what I do is I talk about it on a systemic level, sort of a local mm, one, right? to move it away from me, move it away from the personal into the general. But that anger has come from that, that fire has come from that. And, and now inspired, inspired I work. want to help as many other people who are in the exact same position as me, where their kids are traumatized and they're being blamed because their kids are now school avoiding. I want to help equip them to gain advocacy, to gain advice, and to know the pathways they need to take to challenge their local authority and to hold them to account. So that's me looking through the laws and trying to educate people. And that's what I'm going to be doing over 2023. But yeah, it's getting that fire and utilizing it as yeah, best as you can. Which is right. Anti bullying campaign, you know, fuck it. I might have to do an anti bullying campaign because none of these kids seem to know just how much it hurts to attack another kid. And yeah, it's like, it, yeah. life's hard enough. But you know, it's just, it's just that, that's the sad thing is like, I try to tell people, I'm like, listen, man, like, life's always going to be tough. You know, you, you got billionaires killing themselves. So it's like money ain't going to fix everything. I'll tell you that right now. It's going to be tough. You just got to be the best equipped. And thankfully, your yeah. son has somebody who's so equipped. And, you know, I want to thank you for the work that you do. I want to thank you for being so transparent with me today, being transparent on your thank social you. channels. For people that listen to this episode, where can everybody find you on the Internet? Okay, I'm on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and LinkedIn. LinkedIn. All right. Yeah, you got them all covered. Please say what's up to your son for me. If you guys are ever in the States, I would love to meet you guys. That would be an amazing experience. I um, want to take him I... to New York when he's 15. That's the aim. You, sh- <laughs> you should. You should. You should. And if I'm still here, I'll make sure you guys are taken care of over here. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So my last question that I ask everybody on this show is, well, it's nighttime for you. So did you have a happy day? Were you happy today? I had moments of happiness. Yes. Thank you for asking that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it's a bland question, but it makes you think broad. It makes you really like, oh, wait, like, hold up. How did I feel today? That's why I love that question. It's so simple, but it's like not simple. Yeah. Like yesterday was a very anxious day, very feeling unsure, a bit hopeless, a bit lost. You know, we all have those moments. So we just don't know if we're doing the right things and we have to just trust the process, like you mentioned. But today I got back out to the gym. I went for a walk, did a bit of shopping. And it is the little things. It's the little maintenance that makes you know that you can, that you are achieving, even when it feels like you're not. It's the little steps. It's the little things. And that builds your foundation to then go on to try and achieve more. So, yeah, now I feel a lot happier today. Thank you. Again, I I love that question because it actually causes, like, makes people check in on themselves. That's it. I don't think anyone's really even asked me that in a very long time. So yeah. Yeah. So I, I recommend that people try to ask themselves that almost every day. If you remember to do it, it's like, you know, it's like, uh, if I was happy during this time, that was good. I got a little sad. All right. So what triggered that? Where did that end up taking me? Why did I feel that way in that moment? You know, hey, these, I, I, I get very- some great reflective tools. For, you're going to be a great papa bear. Come on. You're going to be a great uh, dad. 
Well, it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun. I, ho- I hope anxious. so. The fact that you're anxious about it means you're going to be a good parent because you're you're anxious about fucking up, and you will. All parents do. But the fact that you're bothered about it yes. means that you're going to be the type of person who will rectify any mistakes you make. I, I hope, you're going to be wanting so. to learn along the way. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to be a great papa there. You want to know what it is? It's like, as soon as I have a kid, I'm taking it everywhere. Yes, get because them out in the world, and especially when they're disabled, get them out into the world as much as he can. That's what we do with Frank. He's been to London. He's been to Cardiff. He's been all over the UK. We get out and about into the world. And now we have a little bond and that's everything. Even though it overloads him, he wants to see this world because he gets And he's not afraid. Because he's part of That's the thing. He's not afraid. And that's that's tough because a lot of kids are afraid. Most kids are afraid to go outside of their comfort zone. And that's why it's like for me, like it's thankfully like I get to work from home. I'm literally going to have a papoose and just put the kid here. And I'm like, like we're just going everywhere. You know, like, we're just going to walk around. You're going to meet a ton of people. It's amazing. And yeah, I, th- I think that, you know, like, that's one great thing that my parents did is they took me everywhere with them. So I was exposed to, like, Good. people. That's like, you know, I learned how to speak to people because my parents were always like, we're going to the store. I never got to stay home. They would take me. So I'm just like, all right, like now I'm talking to this dude. But you know what I mean? Like I'm talking about the Yankees with like some other kid or like talking about a bunch of stuff. But I believe exposure therapy is like the best therapy that it is for everything. Exposure therapy is huge, is huge, especially with the anxious. And like you said, just like here. Avoidant types. Yeah, man. Avoidant types. It's it's really good. Yeah. That shit will kill you. Slow process of desensitization. Yeah. That's why when yeah. I when I got diagnosed with panic disorder, I'm like, I'm going to like 11 basketball games. I'm going to go on a plane. Like, I have to do all this shit when I'm in a really bad state. So when I'm good, I'm like, this ain't shit. That's just the way I have to do it. That's it. And you built your tolerance. You've built your window of tolerance. And you do that slowly and surely. And neuroscientifically, it's called neuroplasticity. So you're growing new neurons and new areas in the brain from the experience from the new experience you've given it but without that exposure those neurons those neural pathways that connectivity that would never have been able to originate without that experience without that stimulation feeding it in it's a beautiful thing and listen i'm so proud of you i'm proud of your journey i'm proud of your son and i hope that you know you stay in touch i would love to see how he's doing with school and all that stuff. So again, you're welcome here anytime. Thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. And hopefully in a in a few months from now, we, we catch up and we have this conversation again. Absolutely. I would love to. And thank you so much for inviting me. It was very unexpected. And I'm so grateful to have received your email. But thank you for considering this topic as something that you want to discuss. Because about for exposure sure. therapy, I feel like it's high time we expose the neurotypicals to us. So for thank sure. you for that. Absolutely. And like I said, anytime it's like, you know, we're a mental health show, but we're also, we branch out everywhere. You know what I mean? It's not just depression and anxiety on this show. It's yeah. No, it's, thank it's you so science. much for lending time towards autism and neurodivergency. I really appreciate it. I do. Absolutely. Listen, I learned a lot today too. So thank you. Thanks for joining me on another episode of off the cuff presented to you by one one life. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and send us some love with a review. And don't forget, we're all in this together and you're never alone. Peace. Fate Entertainment. Ah!